0: We've, in a sense, glimpsed into the future in that singing of that hymn. We often sing that at the end of worship, Uh, but it is good for us to be reminded that it is the reality even now. Though we uh, see struggles here below, though we deal with sickness and with conflict and with uh, confusion and all of the rest, we recognize that all that is happening will have its end in the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is as certain, his second coming, as certain as his first coming. There in the the manger in Bethlehem, he comes again as the one who is the glorious king. So we want to, uh, I'm simply going to look briefly this evening at the book of Revelation as a whole, and then we're going to be spending, I'm, I'm considering six to eight weeks, I think it'll take about that, to look at the letter's. Uh, To the seven churches in the opening chapters, chapters uh, two and three. But this book has been coming to mind quite often as I've been working through the series in, in Genesis. And the reason that is, is the book of Revelation ends where the book of Genesis begins. God is a sovereign creator of the heavens and the earth, and he is the creator of the new heavens and the new earth. And The story of the world is recorded between these two two bookends as we prepare to uh, embark on how we are to live then in this world as we live between, as we live as those in between, as we live as those in the last days. I want to look at chapter 1 together. Reading then from Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 through 20. This is the word of God. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, as we heard again tonight, Psalm 32 already, and made us a kingdom, Priest to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. So let it be. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, so let it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. He was suffering as a result of that, exiled to the island. One with us in His testimony receiving the consequences. Verse 10, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches. Seven being a, a number of symbolism or significance in Revelation. The number of perfections. Speaking of the church then, the seven churches, yes, but also the church throughout the ages. To the seven churches... When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand... And the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels, the messengers, the leaders of the seven churches. In the seven lampstands, those that give light, are the seven churches. So far, the reading of God's own holy word. May he add his blessing to the reading and proclamation of it, granting us understanding that we might live more faithfully to his glory. The people of God... God wants us to understand what is written in the book of the Revelation. As confusing as it is in all of its symbols and its imagery, the point of this book is that we would understand it. Just listen again to those words in the opening verses, the revelation of Jesus Christ, that which is revealed, which God gave to Him to show His servants, to show them that they might see and understand. The things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending His angel. He wants these words to be read aloud. He wants us to hear these words. He wants us to keep what is written in this book. Revelation. Showing. Making known. Hearing. Keeping. The Lord has this set before us that we might be well-equipped in these days of our earthly sojourn to serve. Three questions this evening as we look at these opening verses. What do we see in Revelation? How are we to understand it? And what should the book do to us? First, we take notice of the title of tonight's message, Introducing the Revelation. Revelation. Not the book of Revelations, as we often hear it, but rather the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ. When we read through the book, it may seem like a bunch of different revelations, a bunch of different scenes. And and there are different scenes, but they are all different angles upon the one battle that is taking place between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent, between the kingdom of God. The kingdom of darkness. The opening words help us to see that this book, which seems so foreign sounding, is meant to communicate. Listen as well to this definition. John uses three literary styles to communicate what he saw. Revelation has been described as a letter with apocalyptic content declaring itself to be a prophecy. I give this definition so that we can better understand or better answer the question, what do we see as we read the Revelation? First off, the word letter. A letter. Children, you've written letters, right? Intro, body, and conclusion. You state perhaps who you are. You state what your, uh, the point of your letter is, and then you conclude. Well, here, Revelation, we are told or we understand, is a letter. John is writing to the seven churches in the province of Asia but this is no ordinary letter we also see that the content of this letter is apocalyptic not in the sense of catastrophic as people often say with the apocalypse is coming or armageddon and we think oh boy something that's that's catastrophic but no more so apocalyptic in the sense of unveiling what is taking place what is happening behind the scenes what we don't see physically but that which we understand to be taking place spiritually as God reveals it to us. There's more going on today than meets the the eye. Principalities and powers are striving to deceive and demoralize. Remember what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That ought to humble us. We are not capable of standing against such powerful opposition. But we are in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are those who put on the armor of God that He gives to us. The Word of God, which is the sword of the Spirit. And all of that that is mentioned there in Ephesians 6, we want to unpack that uh, tonight, but... All that's found there describing the armor of God, the message of God for the people of God that they might be living to the glory of God. Our focus is not uh, merely upon the players on the scene horizontally, though we are concerned about leaders, politicians, those who have positions of authority. What we are concerned about is that the Lord would be working in the hearts of these individuals, Opening their eyes to see that the battle is much greater than what party you belong to. More so, what side are you on? Are you for Christ or against Him? As He states elsewhere, you're either for me or against me. John writes down what He sees, and the symbols He gives are to be interpreted through the lens of the Old Testament, through that very time period, the late first century. And then as well, the increasing persecution of the church in Asia Minor. John writes to a people who are facing increasing pressure from the Roman Empire to renounce Christianity and worship the state. That, I think, is one means by which we can see how, how relevant this is, how helpful this is, though it seems a very mysterious book to us. It, 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 it lays out before us this increasing battle between those who would seek to follow the Lord and those who would seek to follow the devil. He puts his power, he presents his power in places that are visible and physical, and he pre- presents himself as very powerful, worship of the state or a counterfeit kingdom. We are those who are to worship God alone. The worship of many gods was tolerated in that day end of the first century. That was okay. But to say that we no, we worship God alone, that Christ is Lord and not Caesar, was something that was unacceptable. And the devil works to expose that allegiance, and he works to present his show of force as that which is to be dominant in order to intimidate, but we must not forget that Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And we must not compromise. So in studying the book of Revelation, you must remember that the primary key to interpreting the the words here is the Old Testament. It's very much like the prophecies of Daniel and Ezekiel and Zechariah which also make use of symbols that speak of a bigger body of truth. These, these symbols uh, uh, represent much uh, more teaching. A picture is worth a thousand words. We see a, a symbol and then behind that you see uh, uh, much more information. It's, it's summarized. It's, it's a, a shorter synthesis, if you will, of what is there speaking to, what, to the greater truth or the greater reality. Well, that by means of apocalypse, And then that word prophecy, a letter with apocalyptic, apocalyptic content declaring itself to be a prophecy. Children, you know what prophecy is. We have that in times around Christmas. We read the Old Testament prophecies of the coming Messiah, right? We are those who read the prophets and see what they foretell of the one who would come to save his people from their sin. We read of the Old Testament prophecies of Christ's suffering and his death and his resurrection, around the time of Good Friday and Easter. Well, here John says that the revelation is a prophecy, not a prophecy which tells us all the little details about the future. Oh, this person is, 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 is this part of the book of Revelation. Oh, that movement is this piece of the book of Revelation, but rather revealing, disclosing Christ's ultimate triumph over sin and death. That Our greatest enemy, the last enemy, which is to be vanquished, which is to be conquered, as Paul says. Listen again to what it says in verses 17 and 18 in Revelation 1. John says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying, fear not, I am the first and the last, and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. He alone can say that, and He alone is believed, for He has shown His power. And John gives us a simple introduction to a very, very foreign-sounding book, but the message is simple, even if the account of it isn't at first glance. The Bible begins with a clear, instructive, and orienting introduction. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, a very clear beginning. When sin enters in, things get complicated. We have ethical issues. We have moral problems. We talked about that this morning in high school catechism class. And, and, and we as a people of God can talk about that too. We, we don't. What's the right thing to do? What's the right direction to go? Sin complicates. But we need to keep the Word before us, ever mindful that it's that light for us to see through the difficult times. The matters are complicated on earth because of sin, but our origin and our dependence is not complicated if we open the Word of God to see His plan. Sin complicates things today, and life seems so confusing, but all of history is moving toward that return of Christ and the renewal of the world, as we heard this morning. It's clear that He will come and that we must be ready to receive Him While the devil seeks to run interference, uh, we listen to God's word, knowing that his plan will be accomplished. John introduces the final book of the Bible with that introduction, giving us a picture of the end, that which is to come that which will come to pass, the time is near. Speaking of what was going to happen in the immediate context of those reading this letter in the end of the first century, but also in the sense of the immediacy, the certainty of what is to come when Christ returns. For God will certainly do it. God will bring his people home. What do we see in the body of the letter in between the introduction and the conclusion? We see Satan raging against the kingdom of God as a defeated but violent enemy. The struggle isn't between good and evil as to which will gain supremacy, but it's rather a revelation of what is happening. That's been decided. The end has been decided in this. Christ has disarmed the rulers and authorities and triumphing over them through his death upon the cross, Paul says in Colossians 2.15. John sees the ongoing conflict as it unfolds before him. It's terrifying. It shakes him. Satan waging war on God's children. And he knows the weakness of his own flesh. He calls himself the one whom God loves in his gospel, almost as if to say, I can't believe that he would love someone such as me. Not that he's saying, the one whom Jesus loved because I'm so wonderful. But rather, the one whom Jesus loved beyond my comprehension. Beyond my comprehension that he would love me, knowing the weakness of my own flesh. And we can, we can recount that same testimony. The devil against us, our own flesh waging war, the weakness of our flesh, wanting to take us away from Christ and the world calling us to live for ourselves rather than for the Lord. John's words remind us of the conflict that is sure to come to those who worship God and His victorious Son. The same challenges that face the Christians of the first century face us today. We must not compromise. We must not make allegiance with the world. Jesus says through John, the one who conquers will receive the crown of life. The one who presses on in the power of the Lord, grasping hold of His witness, His testimony, and holding it as a precious deposit. Well, how are we to understand what Jesus wants to show us? John's purpose in recording what he sees is simple. He has the theme of comfort in mind. When you listen to verses 4 through 7, you see that very quickly. It says, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits, the sevenfold spirit is another way of translating that, the perfect Holy Spirit before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth. What a testimony, what a title that he bears What a confidence that gives. What a comfort to Him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by His blood and made us a kingdom. While the world does not recognize it. God says, you are a kingdom. Priests, holy to the Lord. Priests to His God and Father. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. So be it. Amen. Behold, he's coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him, even so. So let it be. Amen. There is comfort in these words. The great battle seen from various angles. So that, so that we might not be overwhelmed to the point of submission to the devil, but that we might know his schemes, right? You hear that in the Bible, 2 Corinthians 2, 11, Paul says, we are not unaware, agnostic, agnoamen. We are not unaware, agnostic, unknowing about his schemes. We know how he tries to deceive. We know what he does in counterfeiting the truth, appearing strong, appearing invincible, and yet he is defeated. He roams about like a roaring lion, but he is restrained, as Revelation 20 says. Oh, he's powerful, and he is not to be taken lightly, but he is defeated. In Christ, we have that confidence. The invisible realities of the spiritual realm are set before us from all these different angles so that we might see that we cannot persevere on our own, and yet that so that we can see Christ will have the victory. If you have a study Bible, you can look that all up. I'm not, I'm not creating this myself, making this up myself. The opening in the, in the Bible that I have speaks of the, those seven angles that we see uh, in Revelation, the seven cycles of judgment, as it's said here, looking at the, uh, the battle from all different angles. The chapters there, it sets them out before us. The, the body of the letter, it's the first cycle is chapters 4 through 8. The second cycle is chapter 8 verse 2 to 11 verse 19 and so on. All of these, these cycles, these uh, different considerations of that one battle with the last three increasingly focusing on the near, the near end, what will be taking place just before the end. But looking at this from different angles so that we might see how Satan tries to counterfeit, how he tries to deceive, and that we might know that Christ has prevailed. Kim Riddleberger, one... A retired minister in the United Reformed Churches puts it this way We must not see Revelation as depicting strictly future or historical events. It's not that simple to just say, well, it's, it's all about the future or it's all about the past. Nor does Revelation exhaustively map out the history of the church age. It doesn't say everything there is to say about it. Instead, we must see the visions and symbols in them as pictures of the ongoing struggle between Christ and Satan and his demons, a battle which Christ will inevitably win on behalf of his people. How are we to understand it? It is to be a book of comfort. It is a book that is, that is terrifying in its, in its vividness, but it is meant to, to show that great and powerful enemy as one who is conquered in Christ. What should the book do to us then Finally. It's a book meant to, encourage. It's meant to encourage us, those who are enduring increasing persecution, by giving a glorious view of Christ's victory. We should take John's words to heart. Blessed is the one, verse 3, who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear, those who grasp, those who understand, and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Jesus' words are comforting. All of that description there in verses 4 through 7 that we already heard. And then the Lord speaks Himself, verse 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and last letter of the Greek alphabet. That idea of I am the the beginning and the end. There is nothing else. I am. The one who is and who was and who is to come. The Almighty. This is our God. John ends his record with these words in chapter 22. The angel said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. Behold, I am coming soon, declares the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy in this book. That which... Is taught in this book. This book calls us to perseverance and holy living. Knowing what we know, Peter says, How then are we to live? We are to live holy and godly lives. With all humility, considering others better than ourselves, humbling ourselves before the Lord, serving Him confident that He will see us through. We are not looking for the accolades of the world in order to determine whether or not God is for real. Oh, I'm not reaching that potential that the the world tells me I need to reach. I'm not reaching that notoriety. Therefore, this must not be true. Oh, indeed, the Lord says, it's the meek who inherit the earth. Those who are looking to the Lord for their salvation They and they alone will be delivered. The book exhorts the church community to witness to Christ in the midst of a compromising and idolatrous church and world. This letter is meant to motivate believers to live for Christ. The glories of Christ must encourage us. Where do we look to be encouraged? We look at the glories of Christ. He who does not change. He who is victorious. Never to be defeated. That is where we find our strength and confidence as we press on through the struggles of this earth. Do we suffer at our places of work? Do we suffer confusion, misunderstanding and, and frustrations? Indeed, we do. Do we deal with challenges all around us when people don't understand us or misrepresent us or give misinformation about us? Yes, we do. Even as Christ suffered, was misunderstood, was mistreated, was... Vilified. But here, here we read that as we listen to the Word of God, as we take hold of the Word of God, there is blessing. The first of the seven Beatitudes, God's perfect blessing, the number seven again, the first of the seven Beatitudes or of blessings is found in verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it for the time is near. Numbers in Revelation are not accidental or coincidental. They're symbols which point to something else. Throughout the scriptures, that number seven is the number of completeness, of perfect blessing. The seven blessings in Revelation are connected to these. Blessed are those who believe and hear. Blessed are those who are faithful unto death. Blessed are those who are ready for the Lord's coming. Blessed are those who die in the Lord, for they will rest from their labors. Blessed are those who respond to the invitation to the marriage supper. Blessed are those who participate in the first resurrection by faith. Blessed are those who are granted the right to eat of the tree of life, to enter the new Jerusalem. This speaks of the complete blessing that is ours in Jesus Christ. The destiny of those who would believe in Christ and keep his word. As we look at the letters to the seven churches in the coming weeks, we want to commit ourselves to consider his word again and again and what it teaches and how it strengthens us. In this book, we have the sure and certain testimony of that one who gave himself for us. Conquering death in the grave so that we might be victorious. That same Jesus whose testimony is given in this vision will indeed bless all those who hear, who hear these words and take them to heart. Remember that as we look at these opening chapters, that when Christ comes, the kingdom of God will be with men. Is that what you want? Is that what you desire? God says that is the blessing where paradise is regained, restored when God dwells with men. The next great event in redemptive history is the return of the king. The conflict at present is between good and evil is nothing new. It will continue until the end. We must be ready for Christ. For his coming. For he will come at an hour that we least expect him. We are to be found doing what the Master calls us to do, to be witnessing, to be making disciples as we seek to live in the world and show forth the wonder of all that He has made. We are those who can sing those wonderful words of the hymn, This is my Father's world. Oh, let me ne'er forget that though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. Jesus, who died, shall be satisfied, and earth and heaven will be one. We look to that in faith. We hold on by God's holding on to us, trusting him to be faithful. May Christ come and find us faithful. Amen and amen. Dear Father in heaven, as we look at this letter in coming weeks considering what you have to say to us as believers connected to the saints who have gone before guarding that good deposit holding on to the truth Lord grant us understanding grant us comfort grant us peace grant us courage to speak the truth grant us joy in the thought of forgiveness and of deliverance from Satan and all of his accusation and from death and hell. Lord, may the gospel become more sweet to us. May the name of Christ be the name that we hold high. May the relationship that we have with you as children to a father be our great joy. May your spirit dwell in us richly. Hear us, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen.